Hello, and welcome to Art Speaks, a new arts and culture podcast from Philips. I'm your host, Arnold Lehman. After a half century in the art world, mostly as a museum director in Baltimore and in Brooklyn, and five years at Philips as senior advisor, which means someone who is old, knows a lot of people, and isn't shy about voicing opinions, Hosting a series like this seems like a perfect fit for me. So for each episode, like today's, I'll be at my desk having a socially distant conversation with friends from the art world, artists, dealers, museum directors and curators, collectors, and critics, to learn from them how and what they are doing and what is on their minds today and for tomorrow. So let's get started with our conversation with my friend, artist Swoon. I am so thrilled, truly, truly thrilled to be seeing and talking to and listening to my friend, uh, the really terrific, um, I don't know ever how to introduce you properly as a conceptual artist as a graffiti and street artist, as um, just just a wonderful person <laughs> and who never stops working and who always gets to the point of things when you look at her work. So just tell everyone, um, what is what was the earlier process of when you were doing street art, when you were making graffiti, you were not among the group, um, and you're going to be in my upcoming graffiti street art show, which I'm really looking forward to. But you brought your art with you, yeah, to the streets. So just tell me what that was all about, how you did that. It was different than everyone else. Well, you know, I was a classically trained painter when I was a kid. I grew up before the internet. I grew up in a place where we didn't have graffiti. I didn't know what any of that was about. I didn't even really understand contemporary art until I got to New York. And then it was like, Kuchung, wake up, you know, because <laughs> the right it was so it was so different. So so I I was like, well, here I am. I'm this kind of classically trained person, and that's part of my DNA. And I'm studying contemporary art, and that's part of my DNA. But I'm obsessed with the streets. And I was like, I'm not just gonna become a graffiti artist because that's not who I am. Like, let's be real, let's be honest about who I am, but let me also like follow this passion. And so what happened was I spent, you know, a good six months just kind of thinking it over in my head and looking at everyone who had ever worked in unconventional ways and just being like, how do I be who I am, but bring that into direct contact with this thing that's my obsession, which is the walls of New York City. And? And physically. When you, when you decided, I, well, I want to know the physical issue. Yeah. Well, so physically, the first thing I wanted to do is I was really obsessed with the collage. So I made all these block prints and I was kind of thinking about creating this language sort of built out of like the syllables of the forms that would kind of come together in repeating patterns to interact with the streets in different ways. 
Um, and I made them with this tracing paper because I wanted them to sort of overlay with advertising. And that project was a total disaster. And I was like, oh, it didn't work how I wanted it to. And, you know, but but I was hooked. It was like I was already hooked. So I wasn't, you know, and so then the next thing I did, I was doing all these tiny stickers. And then I started to do billboards because they were putting up all these new billboards on my block. So then I started organizing the other students at school to be like, hey, let's make paintings. We'll cover up all the billboards at the same time. So then I kind of got into this idea of like getting people together. Um, and then I started, I was making these kind of photocopy ones. Again, it was like a lot of ugly duckling stuff. A lot of stuff where I was like, huh, I'm making really bad art, but you just have to make bad art sometimes. I mean, any artist will tell you, you have streaks where you're like, there ain't no way through this, around it, I gotta go through it, you know? So, and then um, I started with a portrait of my grandfather in cut paper. And I remember that moment when I, I set that on the ground and I was like, huh, and it felt like something had come into the room. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I went outside with it and then people started to say, hey, 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 I love those. Like, I feel like there's this person and I'm connecting with it and all this sort of stuff started to happen. And um, I just kept going. Now, let me remember, you were at Pratt? Yeah, I was at Pratt. I was studying at Pratt at the time. So I was living on Myrtle Ave. Um, so you were and, you were in the thick of it. Yeah, I loved it. I loved New York and it was a great time to be. You know, it was it was uh, late 90s. It was a great time to be in New York. I spent what seemed to be forever riding those subway cars mm-hmm. that were that were moving works of art that were covered completely on the outside and on the inside with graffiti yeah. in the 1970s. And, um, and it uh, just, I mean, I just remember, I mean, everyone kept saying how they've destroyed the graffiti artists and destroyed the New York subway system, yeah. how they've, how they have, you know, ruined the experience that we can use the subways. Anyway, of course that never affected anybody. That was just a handful <laughs> of people uh, and the police, of course, and the city government, of course. But I had this great feeling of being moved along, sitting or usually standing in an actual living work of art. And when you were on the platform and they passed you by quickly, if you were on a local platform and it was an express train, it was like cinemascope, Um, the entire train. And um, I couldn't understand why everyone was so ex- so upset. Um, and then, of course, I went on to do exhibitions about graffiti and and so on, and you know became friendly um, with a number of people. And um, and those those trains themselves, I mean, Lee Quinones with those trains, I mean, just incredible. Incredible. Yeah. You were doing the your work in the late 1990s, mid to late 1990s. Who were some of the, did you run into any of the graffiti artists who were working in their kind of way or were you sort of in a different locale? Yeah, I started, I kind of got a little going more like early 2000s is when I really got got into it. And I would run into, you know, I kind of built up a little community of my own, just of folks that were working, um, like Darius and Downey were my friends and they ended up making this movie and they kind of just grabbed me. They were like, Hey, you made that. And I was like, yeah. And then we sort of built together, but I do have this memory of, um, 
I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with what Lee looked like yet because, you know, I hadn't like seen a lot of the movies. It was, but, um, but somebody, I, I was working in my studio and it was like this whole huge mess and my friend was over and this woman who was organizing a show said, I need to come by and pick something up. Can I bring my, my friend by? So this guy comes in and he's like the most charming person and he's laughing and he's looks around my studio and he goes, you're going to be famous. I can feel it. And he's telling me, oh, and when I used to hang out, you know, he's talking about all these like legends and being like, I had the same feeling in their studio. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is. He's the sweetest person. And when he left, my friend just goes, oh my God, Callie, that was Lee Quinones. And he told you, you were going to be famous. And I was like, what? I didn't even miss that whole experience. <laughs> well, um, you know, there are some prophets, you know what they're talking about. And that is great. Absolutely great. Yeah, it was really fun. And slowly I did start to meet. And there were people I was obsessed with, you know, Revs would, you know, you'd see the diary entries in the tunnel. You'd see the kind of big roller pieces and be like, what is that? You know, Espo. There were folks who were really out at the time that I was that I was really admired and, you know, looked at all the different kinds of ways that it showed up in the city. And and the thing that always amazed me is how do they possibly do this? You know, with I mean, the trains, whether they were in the train yards late at night or they certainly weren't able to do it during the day when things were going back and forth. And I've heard the most incredible stories. And it's one of the reasons that I'm so eager to do this exhibition at the beginning of the year, the new year. And I'm so yeah. thrilled that you'll be part of it. But even just that, even just being in the tunnels, you know, in the trains, like passing you and your hair is like getting sucked back and you're like, wow, like, you know, just thinking about people like Revs that knew the subway tunnels like the back of their hands. I mean, you know, it was, I was a dilettante just kind of looking around, but, um, but yeah, the, the love of the city and the way it crosses over into urban exploration, you know, there's a lot that kind of goes on with that, with people that just get into, you know, the freedom tunnels, all these like places and spaces in the cities. Well, they also had to know the tunnels because they had to know which way to run away from the police. Right. That was important too. But, uh, all right. So when you, uh, put that incredible, um, determination and energy under uh, what I would call studio control. Um, what was the next layer? What was the next step? Where did you go next? Uh, especially to get Jeffrey or someone like Jeffrey to be so interested as to do an exhibition. Yeah. Well, so I, so first I was just pasting out on the street and I was really like, this is it, you know, and I was organizing kind of street parties and different things and really, really just focused on the city and urban space. Um, but like I said, I'm a classically trained artist. So I have a, a lot of different things in my, in my kind of creative DNA. And sometimes they would be like, did it? you know, when are you going to talk to us? When are you going to listen to us? Because the thing is when you're working out on the street, there's a real set of limitations and that's great. It forms you, but it also like, eventually you're like, there's like, okay, what's next? What's the next evolution? And so I started to build these little um, installations on my kitchen window. Um, and then I was like, I was turning them into these little peepholes. And I just actually ran across this story I'd written down, I totally forgot yesterday, where this construction worker, I would put them in construction fencing. And one I went by to look at, 
And he was like, oh, it's gone. And I was like, oh, you saw it? And he was like, oh yeah. I would tell everyone that came by that they had to look at it. He said, one day I had all the boys from my job site all lined up to look at it. Cause I told him it was a naked lady in there. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So like, there's a great ways that people would interact with stuff. But anyway, I was making these installations and thinking, actually, I would like an indoor space to work. You know, I just started to think that. And right about that time, people started to ask me, you know, what do you think? And at first I was really conflicted about it. And I was trying to come up with different ways to work. But when Jeffrey asked was right when I was like, you know what? I think I, I think I have an idea. And of course I was completely nervous and freaking out because, you know, he was Jeffrey and that was such a, it was Im immediately clear that was going to be life changing. Um, but you know, I, I loved and admired what he did and I knew that it was going to be, I knew there was something in my brain that needed to get born. My feeling was that that show was like putting a door on my brain and being like, come in, like, let's, let's have a look around. Let's feel what this feels like, you know? And that was what I really tried to do was to create that immersive, like totality. Well, I think it worked and it's continuing to work. Um, in bigger and even more engaging ways for the last decade and a half, which is uh, just the, the ambition of the work, I think is, is as astonishing as the product. Those barges, for instance, um, uh, you know, I, I guess you could, you could live on those barges. How much of the material that you so carefully think about and design and produce, do you reuse in projects that are meant, not as projects that are for sale, but projects that you're asked to create to commission projects like that? How much of it do you, re do you reuse and rethink? Pretty much everything, yeah. I, um, you know, it started, we built the rafts out of recycled construction wood. We would go to the construction sites and say, hey, what are you, are you done with any of your wood? Are you, you gonna throw it away? And they would, give it to us. Um, and so it was a lot about kind of closing some of those waste loops. And then creatively, what I found is that um, when you're, when you use a piece or you build a raft out of it and then you pull it out of the water and it's got this moss on it and it's got these like barnacles or it's got this signage, you know, it gets these marks that you can't make up. You can't fabricate that stuff. And so, um, you know, the, the raft, it, it, the only time it showed a hole was in the museum. But after that, I, I, one of them went into the forest. And then after it was in the forest, we took it apart and I turned it into a wall, a flat wall. Um, and so, you know, it just had all these different lives. And part of it's because I'm a kind of a recycler, but part of it is because you can't make that stuff up. Right. Well, that's certainly, that is certainly true. Um, all right. Again, I'm skipping a different direction. Um, as you were getting into the feeling that you were going to be an artist, choosing to go to Pratt, for instance, uh, where was that creative, um, that, that you said little people sitting in your head, was there a particular artist or artists who were sitting around in your brain somewhere that were calling to you, you know? Be me, Picasso, be me. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I started studying painting when I was like 10 and I became very driven from that age on. Um, but like I said, you know, we didn't really have the internet. So 
for me, there was kind of just like a lump of classics. But, you know, I think right at that age, I was very obsessed with Egon Sheila. He was like my absolute favorite. Wow. I would never yeah, have thought that. Yeah, he was a phenom in that year. For some reason, you know, I was like, oh, I'm obsessed with Egon Sheila. And then like every other freshman at college was like, duh. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess he just broke through again this year. But I had gone, I was an exchange student in Prague and I, um, I went to Czeski Krumlov, which is where he lived when he was, he grew up there. And then I also got to go to Vienna to the, to the, I think it's the Leopold museum to see the huge collection of Sheila's because when I was 16, I went to a skate, um, to a skate park and there was a skateboarder, Ed Templeton, who was there. And I was like, he's an artist. And I went over and I was like, draw me a picture. I'm obsessed with Egon Sheila. And he was like, when you go to Eastern Europe, here's where you're going to go. And he sort of told me, cause he was also obsessed with Sheila. So he sort of told me the route to go kind of on my Sheila pilgrimage. Wow. Wow. I mean, just because I didn't think of Sheila as being that key, um, not that it wouldn't be a good key. And it's also, when you think of the work and all of those lines and pieces of color coming together to make those great drawings and paintings, you know, I can start understanding how you're putting different materials together might in fact be coming out of that um that direction okay yeah. so when you were finished with sheila was there somebody next well i loved gordon mata clark he was actually who started me on the street in a weird way um you know it's an unlikely path there but i was like it was i went to ps1 and i saw this exhibition where they talked about how he had snuck into this building and cut all this material away and then at the la his last move was to drop the outer outside wall so that the police wouldn't see it happening and then he could just do this reveal and i was like oh it's so fucking punk i love it you know it just it really spoke to me and the temporary nature of it and working on the city it just like put like a you know thread right through my heart that I was like, ugh, um, you know, and of course, and then it was everyone. It was so many people. When you think about, you know, the kind of assemblage, I'm looking at Romare Beard and I'm looking at Louise Nevelson, Robert Rauschenberg, um, you know, looking at portraiture, looking at Kathy Kolwitz, grew up on Vermeer, Van Gogh, like, um, yeah, so, so many, so many. And then um, there, I forget, um, there was a Robert Irwin piece at the Dia. I think it was called Homage to a Square, actually. And it was super minimalist, very unlike me. But what it did was it taught me that the light and air, like the very air that you breathe, can become part of the work. And I didn't know that. I had never experienced that. Um, and so I think that was really influential as well. I'm still going back to Gordon Mata Clark. Um, Ugh, well, him. I knew. And, you did? Uh, oh, Yeah. Um, he died, he died much, much too young and he was just so smart. I mean, I remember him as being very soft-spoken, but he certainly got into the graffiti and street art movement a lot and, uh, was very, very engaged. And I think meant a lot. I think he befriended a number of people and meant a lot to them as well. Um, and he too, of course, had all that 
training from his family, you know, that, that whole line of artists. Um, so how fascinating, you know, the, um, uh, the world outside can often be and is very often, uh, and I'm not suggesting to any kids who are uh, watching this to run away from home, but the outside world, what we find outdoors can often be as if not more instructive than what you find, you know, indoors on that blackboard. Um, there, the, oh, I remember what I was going to say, and I can now remember what my wife and I was sitting watching TV the other night, and there was it an ad for Verizon, Amazon? Yeah, it was Alicia Keys's new album. And then yeah. Pam actually said it before I did, and she said, "Oh my God, there's a swoon. That swoon." And I looked again, and I said, you're right. Um, wow, good eye. I mean, she, you know, amazing, amazing, much more. I'm the one who's supposed to know all this stuff, but she really does. And, I, and I've seen it now a dozen times on television. Oh, wow. How did you, how did that all come about? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Swiss Beats and Alicia Keys are, are major collectors. Well, I do, and Swiss Beats is a, a trustee of the Brooklyn Museum. Exactly. And often, as often said, oh, you know, maybe we could use a little music tonight. My, <laughs> wife, came, my wife came along with me. Uh, Alicia, would you like to sing something? <laughs> right? I mean, that's, and so they came to the show in 2014. Um, and yeah, we've just stayed connected. Um, you know, they, they collected my work kind of right before that. I've, you know, um, and, you know, Alicia is somebody that she and I, you know, I feel there's like this way where you're like, oh, yeah, you started studying piano when you were seven. Like you immediately tried to figure out how to like plug into social causes like she's just got, um, you know, she's just phenomenal. She's amazing. So for me, I'd never done a commercial before for for a lot of reasons. You know, I, I really um, feel a little little squeamish about um, kind of a lot of corporate partnership. But at that point, I was like, Alicia was like, hey, we're working on this song. It's called Underdog. It's like the shout out. And I really want you to be a part of a part of the rollout. And I was like, anything, like anything, I'll do it. And so it was really awesome. And, you know, there were a lot of really sweet kind of moments. Like I realized, you know, I've talked a lot in the last few years about my mom. So my family struggled with a lot of addiction, serious issues, mental illness, a lot of really tough stuff. And uh, and but I put this picture, this portrait of her and my sister and like a really good moment in the commercial. And she, Alicia's kind of shouting out like this one's out for the underdogs. And and when I saw that, I was like, yes, like what a beautiful little triumph for like the kind of spirit of my mom to be like, she's definitely come up from some tough places, but like now she's like blasting to televisions across the country, like being sung to by Alicia Keys. Like it was a really lovely moment. It really is beautiful. But I, I'm so glad I remembered because I knew I wanted to mention something. I wanted to mention that to you because I just started. Did it just come out about a week ago, or has it been out? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's been a little longer. Yeah, it's, it was. It came out uh, like a month ago, I think. But a month feels like a week in these times. <laughs> um, and I wonder if anyone is. <laughs> this is really stupid. I wonder if anyone's watching. 
<laughs> yeah, I was surprised a lot more people than I thought in my family, you know, like my family in Florida and Connecticut. It was kind of cool to be like, oh, no, like nothing else that I've ever done has like my family been like, I saw that by surprise, what, you know, just one day. Um, and so that was really cool to have that happen. Well, it was a great, I'm glad you all got together on that because it was really, and it's a, and it's a good feeling piece too. Yeah. And at this moment, we really do need that. And, you know, you also, which I don't think many people know, you've also been, you said something about Alicia being involved in stuff, but you've been doing that for years, you know, in very different ways, uh, setting up programs and foundations that have tried to help in so many, so many directions. And is there something that you're primarily looking at right now that that's really meaningful to you actually we just launched a project today that i'm really um pretty honored to to have gotten brought in on um and it's judy chicago i and know you saw that cause judy just sent me the the statement and there you are it's judy chicago somebody in swoon yeah serpentine and the national museum of women in the arts you know, and it's Judy and Jane are are, are longtime, uh, you know, ecological activists. And Judy has been doing this really brave work around extinction and mortality, you know, thinking about her own end of life and also thinking about extinction at the same time and really emerging from that being like, we have to like get this has to be now like we have to be to all together as artists be really focusing our hearts and minds on it because, you know, an act of imagination leads to action. And, you know, um, yeah, so she she was kind of just chatting about it. And then I think she kind of wanted my side of it because she saw, um, she saw this article that was about all these younger women street artists. And they were like, how did you get started? And like, a dozen of them were like, we saw Swoon. And she was like, whoa, you know, I think Judy saw herself in that moment. She was like, I've, I've been in that, in that position of being that sort of first woman that comes out of the gate and people kind of see you and understand, um, you know, all these other things that can follow. And so Judy saw that and she was like, Hey, um, and I knew her, we were, we had been going to do a show years ago that fell apart for various reasons. And so we were like, well, let's restart that. And, and so she was like, Hey, come on board this project and you can kind of bring up the, you know, the sort of spirit that you bring to things of like, let's just get something done. Um, and yeah. And so we've been having meetings and we just launched it today and it's about, you know, just getting people to create work that envisions positive futures, that that looks at climate change and and the sixth extinction and all of this and, you know, focuses us. And puts it out all over the world. Yeah, all over so that we're all little signals blinking to each other. Which I, I just thought that, well, first of all, I, I thought I had a glimpse of it the other day and then she sent it to me today so I could actually read it. And I um, I think that's terrific, and I can't wait till that gets going and we can, you know, just see. It's sort of in a way how clapping for the first, you know, first line health workers has yes. become part of the seven o'clock routine in New York City. And this um, can even reach many, many more people than that. So it's a great, it's very much in that same spirit. A great, great project with just the right, the right people involved. Yeah, and we're 
beginning. We're building the coalition. So I'm thrilled that I know, you know, all the headliners in that. Um, but it's uh, it's great, and it's so much. It's so appropriate that you're involved in that. Well, I, all I have to say is I'm sad that we haven't been in touch um, for a while. And I'm hoping um, that this chat is going to lead us to more of the same and maybe even in, in person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and creatively, I've been really embracing the smallness it's 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 i feel like you know all else happening aside just like what's happening in here feels really deeply like a blessing um i'm getting back into drawing and i'm doing concealment while i'm doing all these tiny little drawings and good right and i'm realizing you know it's it is one thing to put your energy into like these huge moments and these huge installations but there's really is a deep value that i'm almost just rediscovering in being like you can never master drawing the human face like you'll never exhaust that subject right and like just looking like i was saying Kolwitz, you know, I cracked a Kathy Colwitz book and I was like, oh girl, you have a way to go. Like, just get into it. Just get into it, you know, turn into that like deep looking. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing in this downtime. Well, I think you've been doing good. And, Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I want to stay well. Yeah, hold on. I can't let you go until I brag on you for like one minute. I just want to say again, when I got your email, I was just immediately like heartwarmed because the, the, the place that you have held for artists for such a long time, you know, the importance in our lives individually, like those moments when like my world changed, when Jeffrey was like, Hey, Arnold Lehman has your door. And I was like, oh, what, you know, to my show. I mean, the, the courageous, you guys were so courageous to have me in there. It's like unbelievable what you guys made space for. And then listening to people, you know, people would come up to me and they'd be like, I grew up with the Brooklyn Museum. I've been coming to the Brooklyn Museum since I was four years old. I would come to the programs. It meant this in my life. And I really feel, I just feel you in that, in like the space that you made for creativity, for neighborhood, for collectivity, for doing really brave actions. And just like, please know how important that has been to how many of us. Well, thank you. Um, now I'm gonna start <laughs> crying. <laughs> Thank you. I will see you very soon. Be well. And we're going to do more fun stuff. Love yes, you. Yes, absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was my great friend, Swoon. I hope you'll join me next time on Art Speaks when filmmaker and Warhol protege, Vincent Fremont, will be with us. Mm -hmm.